I've got you. <laughs> We're good. So welcome to welcome to my my COVID project. It's Capoeira in Canada podcast. And what number? What what, what episode around here? Uh, we haven't really numbered episodes yet. I'm just gathering content at this time. So, um, but uh, you are the third person for me to interview so far. I we've met, which is uh, which is pretty cool. And I've got a number of other invitations out that have been accepted, and uh, they're um, we're just a matter of scheduling those interviews as well. So, which is really cool. I'm kind of excited. So, All right. Yeah, it's good. Um, so let's get let's get into things. Um, you know, so the, the the whole idea of this podcast was or is to to talk to um, in a quasi bachipapu kind of format uh, to those capoeiristas in Canada who um, either moved here from Brazil and started teaching and have an established academy, or to Canadians who are capoeiristas and have gone on to establish an academy uh, at one point in time in their, in their um, uh, I'd like, I don't want to call it a career of Capoeira, but their time as a Capoeirista is probably better. Right. Uh, I've chosen, or uh, having chosen to uh, make a Capoeira as part of their lifestyle. So let's start. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to hand it over to you. Why don't you, why don't you tell us who is Camarão? How? When did he get started? When? Uh, you know, um, and tell us a bit about the history of not just um, Capital Malaise, but Capital Malaise Burlington, and more specifically. It's funny that um, every time we seem to get together—not uh, us, but uh, on the, the grander scale at an event—and we always talk about our personal history and the history where we come from. It always seems in Niagara or in North America to default to this uh, to this movie, this only the strong movie, which which unfairly I think got some chuckles for a long time. But I think we have to acknowledge the impact that the movie had on North American capoeira because none of us knew what it was. We all grew up with um, uh, established Asian martial arts, uh, which primarily were karate and taekwondo, mm-hmm. and then. Background. There was um, some traditional jujitsu. BJJ never came along until years and years later. Yeah, there. So uh, kung fu was was there, but but really, taekwondo and karate dominated the martial arts scene here. Judo as well, place. but also from a sporting perspective, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know what? Even today, if you Google judo in Toronto, you're not going to get a lot of responses. Right. Um, I, I think it's a very underrated martial art, quite or martial sport, however you want to classify it. Um, so this movie came along, uh, you know, I, I happened upon uh, a, a VHS copy of it and watched it like late one Friday or Saturday night. And um, I was enamored by it, quite honestly, because it, a lot of it was the antithesis of everything that a North American boy grows up um, doing or not doing or, you know, we didn't dance, we didn't sing. Mm. Um, you know, uh, the acrobatics were for girls. You know, this is my generation, you know, gymnastics. That, that, that I'm not was, too uh, far behind you, so <laughs> I, I understand well, completely. <laughs> the stereotypes, and, and along came this this art that just um, it, it had all those things intertwined together. Um, but I, I mean, at that time, I figured I was just going to have to go to Brazil. Um, I, I don't even know how I would have figured that out, quite honestly, back then, because I wouldn't have had internet 
this was in 93, I believe. So I wouldn't have had internet back then. Like somehow, maybe just in conversation, I talked to somebody and they, uh, it, you know, I got a little bit more information. But I, again, I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to, this is just not doable. And then about uh, in sometime in 1995, in the fall of 1995, I started making phone calls, uh, probably because I watched the movie a number of times at that point. There were, really wasn't anything else as far as North American uh, cinema went. There was one movie that I found out in 1996. It was it's called Rooftops, and it's about uh, it's about this uh, wayward street dancing kid who, who can't figure himself out, and then he ends up using Cup Ways as a tool for self betterment. You know, hmm. um, but other than those two, really, I mean, um, the, the I don't know, what's the, it's not Street Fighter. It's um, there was another one of those martial tournament movies that, that started to expose Cup Way to more. Um, but again, that's that's I'm getting ahead of myself. So I made a couple of phone calls. I ended up speaking with uh, the Brazilian consulate, and they told me uh, there's this guy. His name is Vicente, and he was teaching at uh, Trinity Bellwoods Community Center. So uh, one night in December 1995, I, I went there, and I walked through the door, and it was like it was like walking into a little bit of Brazil. Uh, there was a group. I'm gonna say of at least 20 people, maybe 30, um, and it was just a mix of, of younger people. They were probably all about uh, five to ten years younger than me at the time, and and doing uh, you know loosely doing all these things that I had seen in the movie, and the class was run by uh, Vicente, um, who is Brazilian from Rio, who mm-hmm. moved to Canada, and um, another guy named Miru, who uh, I'm, I've lost track of him over the years. He was a truck driver, and he would teach when he was in town. He was at that time he was the senior out of the two. I believe Vicente was a graduado, and uh, Miru was in instructor. He had um a three braid, a three color braided cord. Uh, but he was kind of in and out of the picture. Vicente was really who was running the class. And, um, that was in December 95. And by that February of 96, we had a Basado in, uh, in Toronto. And that was the first Basado in Toronto. Um, there was a, uh, Mesrandu, uh, Testia who trains in Vancouver was he was very young and couple at the time i think he had a blue cord i want to say and he was here from vancouver for work and he organized to toronto and uh, coordinated about sato the month after that uh, messi curisco made his first trip he was a quantum Messi at the time to toronto on a layover from vancouver back to brazil and he came and visited one of our classes and then uh, a guy, a, a, a Messi named Messi Uzado was living in, uh, I think he's in Singapore now. He was living in the UK, and there was a couple of students that got a hold of him to, and flew him over to do a workshop uh, in around March of 96. So there was a, quite a bit of, uh, like in that spring, our eyes were really, really open to what Capoeira was uh, outside of our little class of uh, 30 people who, you know, we, we just didn't have that kind of exposure on that scale. And then, from what I understand in the background, uh, there were some conversations between different groups who had traveled through Toronto about getting representation in the city because it was, uh, it was so promising. You know, largest city in Canada really mm-hmm. didn't have. Uh, I mean, we had an organized couple of class. There was only one. There was a couple of people kind of teaching on the side out of uh, community centers, but there was one organized class that that uh, was supported by the Brazilian embassy. And so there was room, really, really, for uh, it was fertile ground. For for Capoeira for the Capoeira inception in Toronto, um, and then it was it was a bit of a mishmash, quite honestly, um, continuing up until about 1999, when Conor Messi Tesoura uh, he attended Messi Lewis events 
he was from Brazil, attended Messi Lewis event in Vancouver um, with um, with plans to come to Toronto and, and start an academy through the group that we were all part of at that time. So uh, I believe that was July in 1999, and he came. And then in that fall, um, Messi Bola was part of a group of people that came to Toronto mm-hmm. in October to do a workshop. And then that January, January 2000, he moved here and he established his uh, his academy. Um, and that's when things really, really took off. That's when, um, you know, between probably 2000, 2004, 2005, yeah. uh, we got between five and, and ten corporate groups. And the scene really, really exploded. Nice. It's, it, it's, it's funny. It's kind of mirrored the development almost identically of, uh, of Capoeira. Not with the same groups, but kind of the same growth curve as Capoeira in Montreal. Right, right. Yeah, I think um, when I was speaking to uh, Contomessi Pirata, he was, the timeline's pretty similar uh, based on what he was describing to me about what happened or what's happened there uh, in the early 2000s. <clears throat> so, so I... I so sorry, I was around um, in '99. I was training a lot, and you know, just uh, being one of the ones that was around for four or five years. I just asked to cover the odd class here and there when the teacher couldn't be there. Contemesse um, Falcon had joined the the class uh, nine months after I did, um, and he was doing a lot more with the teacher at the time. So I just by default there was a few classes that I got asked to cover, and I really fell in love with teaching. I teach. I teach. I'll be all right. I taught the martial arts prior to that. So teaching was, it was a, an aspiration of mine. Like I was nowhere near ready to, excuse me, to lead a class, but, uh, but it was, uh, it was on the radar that that was something that I wanted to do online. And, uh, as I said, uh, Quantum Tesora came here in 99 and then in 2000 for some, uh, he was doing some stuff where he had to travel back and forth from Brazil. And he left uh, the class with myself and Quantum Falcon. Um, that was in late 2001 for almost a year. And then he came back and taught full time, uh, for about two years. And then in the, um, spring of 2003, there was another, uh, turnaround in the group and, uh, we turned to Messi Lua for guidance and he uh, decided to oversee our, our, our growth from Vancouver. Yep. And he left me in charge of running the academy downtown, which at the time we probably had 30 or 40 students. And that was my responsibility until uh, January 2005 when Messi Lua moved to Toronto from Vancouver. And the same month, um, I was hired to teach Capoeira at a class in Concord uh, at a Krav Macau studio. So I taught there for a year and a half. And that, um, then I changed careers. So I took a step back from teaching for about, uh, probably about nine months. And then in um, March of 2007, uh, we found a space in uh, in Burlington to open up a class, and it stayed at that academy for 13 years. And then that property was uh, sold. But uh, I mean, the teaching continues. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, this COVID has really the, the turned a wrench in everybody's folks, obviously. All of, us, um, all of us, for sure. So who knows? The next step, maybe. Um, you know, I'm still uh, working with the same owner of the academy that we moved to. Maybe finding a new location, and there's a possibility down the road of looking at buying property That's... and opening an academy. Yeah, I want to. It's interesting you bring up like the the challenges of what COVID's done to all the academies and anything gym or fitness or martial arts related, <clears throat> and it's uh, it's had a huge impact. Um, let's talk about 
you know, what have been some of your, aside from COVID, you know, and the impact of it, what have, what have been some of your greatest challenges of um, starting and maintaining an academy? Student base. Student base is huge, especially when you get into an urban area. There's a whole, there's a different mentality between um, urban and, and suburban people that do anything. Like, so I worked with a guy who wanted to get into boxing. Well, going back further than that, actually, in the 80s, I did martial arts and um, 1989, I was part of an academy that closed. And the teacher was, was quite talented and I wanted to stay with him. So he found space to rent in Alliston. So I traveled to Alliston. There was a small group of us, like four of us, who would drive to Alliston three times a week to train because that's where the talent was. That's who I aligned myself with. Mm -hmm. So I find that in an urban environment that people generally want to go and do what's most convenient, not necessarily what's best. I, and I use that term best loosely, but they, they really want a matter of convenience. So I was kind of the guy who wanted to get into boxing, you know, I, I'm, I don't know if everybody listens to the podcast will understand the geography of Toronto, but he lives in Liberty Village. And I suggest, well, I know there's a boxing academy that's in Blue or Dundas. It's been there for a number of years and uh, you probably get what you want there. No, 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 that's too far. <laughs> too far is like that was about, I don't know, four kilometers, maybe at the most. But I find that the urban mentality is, is you want it kind of at your fingertips, right? right. Like people yeah. de depend on bicycles and on transit. So they want convenience. It needs to be convenient in a quick walking distance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, but when you grow up suburban, you realize, you know, your car goes everywhere. Like I grew up in Mississauga in the seventies and eighties and the transit system was not wonderful. Like it was mm -hmm. whatever it was every 45 minutes and plus a, a decent walk after you got off the bus. It wasn't like, you know, a metropolis where, where there's a, a transit stop at every, every you know, every intersection point. almost. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, those, that was a challenge coming out to a suburban environment to teach you was, you know, on top of that, it's when you teach in a, in a city, in an urban environment, there's literally people that live across the street next door to where you're teaching, right? Because everything is, is, is a lot more condensed. Right. When you go suburban, right, you've got, you know, you, you've got your, your commercial area and your retail area mm -hmm. and your residential area mm -hmm. and, and it's split up. So I find that, that getting students, getting a student base can be a challenge. And I'm not a businessman to begin with. I mean, I, uh, I've been doing this for a long time, for 25 years. But I'm about the art and about teaching who comes along. I'm not, I'm just not a businessman. So, and I don't depend on it. I have a career. So I don't need to bump up the numbers just to pay the rent. It's like, you know, I, I, I want the quality. So, you know, and in hindsight, I probably could have gone about it in a different way or a better way. Or there's probably little things that I could have done, like make a sandwich board and stick it on the sidewalk, which I talked about but never did. Uh, or, um, you know, I, I talked to another student about, um, about using social media and not, not investing a great deal of money into it, but, but, uh, um, I didn't, uh, cause I don't, I don't really, uh, educate myself in it, but that, um, you can, you can address a certain demographic, a certain geographical area, uh, through social media uh, with a small investment. And then you can, you know, try to reap the words of that. And then there's Groupon, which, uh, you know, again, I'm the guy that just kind of wants to show up and teach and, you know, work and sweat and. You know, I, I would, I would likely have to hire somebody to go out and, and hustle my business for me, or, or you know, do things a lot smarter than I could do them. Um, like really, I would say that that's it. I mean, finding a space, finding a good working relationship with somebody. Uh, you you would think, you know, for me, I've taught in a number of different locations: dance studios, <coughs> excuse me, martial arts clubs, parks, uh, uh, banquet halls. I taught a class at a library once, like. I've taught a lot of places, 
But I find for me, the martial arts club holds the best energy because I grew up doing martial arts. Yeah. And and I don't want to take that away from Capoeira. I want people to walk into the space and realize that they're doing a martial art first and foremost. Yeah. And I, Not to say that yeah. in another environment. I'm not, I don't want to take that for sure but and i think we've talked about this on the side as well and in, in other conversations where you find that there's a um <clears throat> although some other martial artists who don't really understand the martial aspect of capoeira but um those who do um will have a greater respect and you'll you'll develop a stronger relationship and um and uh working relationship you know and they can help each other out in ways yeah. right you know and for sure you know and i've uh, i can totally relate to that which is uh, you, you you feed off that energy that they leave in the air when they're done you know yeah. if you're following their club. um and, and i've been in i've taught martial arts clubs where that energy is non-existent for a number of reasons you know like stupid little things like the, the climb you know the, the owner of the academy is too stingy to leave the climate control on for you and like it's just you know, in the, in January, you don't want to train in a 55 or a 60 degree temperature room. You know, you want you want the heat. You want you know the, you want the body to move well. Yeah, it should be it should be yeah. And those, yeah, as as an example that you're drawing, I mean, the, the environment should be conducive to our health, right? And and you know, when we're doing yeah, physical absolutely. training, for sure, for yeah, sure. And, and and everybody's got to make a bottom line. And I get that it's business, but um, I've been lucky that the, the the place that we've ended up most recently. Uh, it's been very much about the local business and about uh, about support and, and again, um, it's analogous to you know like I have my living, I have my career. Yep. I don't need to make profit from Capoeira. The profit will come if it comes, it comes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. uh, you know the same thing is the, the gentleman that I'm I'm working with now is that uh, he recognizes and again I don't want to take anything away from anybody who's you know living off of their income and and, and doing it as a business person in the space of their academy well, to. For for, sure, sure. for people like us, we kind of have to depend on them too if we're looking for a place to teach, you know, and run our yeah. classes. Well, you know, I recognize that I'm walking to a space with four or six students, and you know, I, I you know, I, I just can't afford eight hundred dollars, a thousand dollars a month for for rent. Mm. And keeping in mind that to build momentum with students, you know, I need a, a certain amount of consistency. I can't teach four days a month and expect anybody to. To maintain the interest in sticking with what I'm doing, yeah. or or to develop them as a student, um, you know, by not having a, a consistent training schedule. Yeah, for sure. So you know, finding the right person to train with because uh, you know I wasn't in a position uh, to buy my own space either financially or or you know I didn't have the time to do it because of my work schedule. Um, uh, you know, I re really, it's not. I guess in hindsight, it's it's only two or three things that. Are potential obstacles. I mean, they can be huge, though, right? Or and they can, they can really drain your energy. Hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Let's um, let's go on to uh, talking about Canadian culture, um, and from your perspective, do you think uh, at least Capoeira here in Canada has evolved, um, like, I guess the it's kind of a double question here. In your perspective, how has capital evolved in Canada? From your perspective, let's start with that. Um, I, you know, it's funny that you mentioned Canadian culture, and I've had this conversation for years and years and years with people. What, what, like, what's Canadian culture? What's an American culture? I, I don't, you know, and and maybe it's a little bit fantastical, but what are our 
what are our folklore folkloric stories what's our you know it seems to me that one of the things that uh, attracted me to asian martial arts before i was even exposed to capoeira was their culture there, you know, they had these tales about, um, you know, dragons and, and warriors and people being able to do these fantastic things with their bodies and, um, like, even the foods that they ate. Uh, you know, it was, I could see the depth in it from a very, very young age. Yeah. And I didn't, I don't, I still don't really see that here. I, I don't see, it, it's hustling society. But Unless, I would say, I think the only, the only true Canadian culture that would have that would be... Uh, would be the indigenous, right? They would be. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. From that, I'm not taking away from that at all. Yeah. But for, for those of us who who came who have a European background, yeah, uh, you know, what, culturally speaking, what do we have? Like what? What? Um, we don't have a you know, lump, we don't have a lampion. We don't have a, a basuru, right? What celebrations are our own? Being, you know, immigrants to this country, like white European immigrants. Mm. Uh, and anyways, that's a whole different discussion, but, For sure. <laughs> but that was what martial arts, right. Was, was the culture of it. And then uh, I've taught, I've taught people over the years that, um, I, I had one student that was, uh, I remember that was Colombian and he was, you know, I, one day, you know, we can sing our songs in English and Spanish and I'm like, no, 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 we can't do that. <laughs> that's robbing Capoeira of its culture. Well, you know, I don't want to do that. Um, I'm not Brazilian, but you know I try to be protective of capoeira, uh, the way that I was taught it, and it's important that that we maintain. Well, I, I think it's important that we maintain the African influences to Brazil, and then subsequently the Brazilian influences to Canada or the United States or or Poland or wherever in the world that capoeira is taught. It's not we're, we don't want to uh, we're not accommodating, right? We're not you know let's make this easier or you know work for it. Like you should be immersing yourself in that culture in that, you know, if you've got a Brazilian teacher that, that is traveling abroad to establish himself uh, with Capoeira anywhere outside of Brazil, he has to work to immerse himself in that culture. And I think conversely that it's on us to work to immerse ourselves in the Capoeira culture when we're in that mindset or in that space or, you know, when we're dedicating that, that time to Capoeira. Absolutely. So, I mean, how has Capoeira changed in, um, I think we've just become more aware of the culture. I don't know if it's changed. Um, you know, and what's the emphasis on teaching? You know, you're going to get outside of your, well, I would argue even inside of your own culture. Like kids aren't starting Capoeira, I don't think, to learn about all the folklore characters that gave such richness to it and, and to really understand the nuances of the music and the tales that are being sung and the history that's being passed down. I, you know, I'd argue that any 12-year-old kid anywhere in the world is getting involved in Capoeira because of the flash. Right, because of the beauty of the art, um, visually only, and then it's only down the line that we start to introduce all these other lessons. Right? Like we start next by you know the musical instruments and incorporating them, which is which is, you know for a lot of people is way more difficult, myself included, than learning physical movement. Because I mean I think essentially we all have rhythm, but it's more work for some than others. You know I I'm not a play by ear person at all. And then beyond that, then we have to incorporate, uh, you know, the songs that we're singing. What do they mean? You know, there's there's neutral songs that can be sung anywhere, anytime. There's songs that can be sung at a perfect time. There's songs that can be sung at the absolute wrong time. Yep. And making people that. And then then there's a language on top of that to understand what you're singing, not just not just in the context of that song, but but being able to communicate with the language, right? So I understand that. 
you know, zoom, 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 capoeira mata um. I understand, okay, my teachers told me that that means that capoeira killed somebody or that capoeira can kill whatever context you're singing it in. But historically speaking, how did that song come to be, for instance? Right. And because you understand the line of a song doesn't mean that you can converse with somebody in Portuguese. Uh, and it's never ending. Like, that's a, it's a lifetime of study. It really, really is. I had... And they, here's my other... My other problem with what's happened in traditional martial arts is that when I started taking judo in 1979 is you had to know all the terminology in Japanese. You didn't have to be conversational, but it, you know, the, it wasn't the wheel throw or the, or the right. whatever, whatever it was. They all had names and you had to know them. That was important. And then, you know, for convenience, we just, we start calling them, you know, I'll default to a kicking there, but the roundhouse kick and the hook kick mm -hmm. instead, of, instead of maintaining that culture and that tradition. I don't want to see that happen a couple later. I don't want it to be, you know, let, let's everybody, let's do the hammer kick, 10 hammer kicks and then <laughs> 10, half, uh, you know, 10 half moons to the front. And I, I hope we don't ever go that way. I don't see that happening at this point, but I, I, I think the community is still fairly connected. You know, that the whole adage of six degrees of separation any of us can call anybody else who knows somebody. Like in, in North America, we're all connected. And the people that are coming along trying to trying to take that away, I, I think that that's being squashed. Either those people are being educated and they're learning the difference, I hope, or they're just finding that they don't have a place in Capoeira. Um, and, you know, I don't think anybody should be shunned, but I think that there's an importance, you know, getting back to, again, culture and passing the culture on properly, right? I yeah. saw one video clip where... It wasn't in North America, but it was abroad, where it was a class of four or five people. Uh, the teacher turned on the camera, had a belt in his hand, and, and threw it to his students. You know, congratulations, here's your belt. That's not Capoeira. That's not what we grew up learning. Like, the, the changing of the belt is a celebration, and, and it has a day, deservedly so. Right. And, uh, you know, there's always been, you know, we've had holidays where belts have been given out there because that's what has to happen because of that person's schedule or whatever, whatever the case may be, but it's still an important moment. It's not there, there are outlier situations that are exceptions to the, the norm of the, the traditions of Capoeira on occasion. And then, you know, being flexible like that, sometimes, you know, we have to be, um, regardless of what we're doing, you know, well, we I, don't make it less but we absolutely no. it's, you know, it's that person's day, you know, it's like your birthday. Yeah. You know, your birthday only happens once a year and you celebrate it. And, you know, I'm not going to celebrate it four or five times a year. You know? Oh, and it's still an accomplishment. Absolutely. It's not, it deserves much more than, than having it thrown in your face and, and saying congratulations. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And it, those are the, that's, I mean, that's another cultural aspect that, uh, you know, part I, of the Capoeira culture. I was, I was having a really good conversation earlier this week with um, Professor Helio. Um, and he brought up a really good point as well that, uh, and, and, a, and a good reminder, it was um, the difference in, um, in having all your questions answered verbally versus a student uh, learning, to, learning to learn just through observation, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think this is, as far as, uh, Maybe it's not so much a, an influence of Canadian culture, but the, the reverse of it. And probably um, when we come back to the, the discussion of having, you know, challenges of, of running an academy, it's more of a challenge of teaching and explaining this to certain students and, and 
and uh, and hopefully having the patience that they'll catch on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right yeah. for sure. But it's yeah. like like it's it's playing by ear is uh, you know a euphemism for being able to watch and just pick it up. I would argue is still playing by ear, and Fair that's point. not for that's not for everybody. And quite honestly. I think it can be for everybody once you establish enough of a base and an understanding of fundamental. Mm-hmm. And then, because, uh, you know, Messi always, one of the things that always impressed me about him is we would go to events together and he would be doing his thing with the with the other teachers at the events, but I, I could see him watching classes that were being taught and the next week we'd be back in Toronto and he'd be teaching what he saw. Not So he didn't have to engage in it physically, to have an understanding of the movement. But the, again, that took years of creating a base to be able to do that. So that's not saying that somebody's a natural. And I think natural talent is overrated because easy come, easy go, right? Oh, for, um, sure, for if sure. you, Yeah, if you give somebody... You use it you or you a, don't use it, you lose it, right? And, yeah, absolutely. If you give somebody a brand new car tomorrow and they crash it, they're not going to feel the loss. Like if they work for five years to save every penny to pay it off, they're going to take much better care of it. Mm-hmm. So I had a... When I was a teenager, I my my room was always a mess, like every other teenager's. And then I invested in buying a can of paint and some wallpaper trim, and I did everything myself. <clears throat> and the room was spotless for months and months and months because I invested in that work. Yeah. Because I, I was gone for a week, and my parents painted it. And who cares after that if I gouged the wall because it wasn't wasn't my work. So to me, that's no different than if you walk into any kind of well, for we're talking about physical activity, but you walk into any sport, for instance. And you just understand it and pick it up. You know, if the next day you lose it, then it's just, it, it, you don't feel the hit. Like the person who's not a natural and puts hours and hours and hours into into learning it and, and creating that foundation. And if for some reason at that point, that person loses it, I, I would argue that it's it's much more devastating. Yeah, I think, um, I think one of the phrases that... Uh, I've taken away that I hear, you know, I've heard you say many times is, is about investing in, you know, when you're invested and you've invested your time and your effort and, um, and well, pretty much just those two, right? And then your, your physical uh, energy, you know, you, you hold on to it much more dear and you respect it much more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Let's, um, since you've been, you've been teaching now on, essentially on your own in, in Burlington for, you said, 13 years now, right? Yeah, since 2000. I Well, I've been, really, I've been teaching on my own since 2003. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, that's true. Since, yeah. And then between Toronto and then that, that uh, short stay in Concord and then almost moving directly into Burlington. But so, yeah, Burlington, 14 years. With all, with all of that experience and with the experience of, of having gone out of your own and starting your own space, um would you or do you have advice for someone who um you know a capoeirista who's coming up and maturing through the ranks you know like what would be your advice to someone who's looking to um step out into you know and start their own academy in their own space based on your experience um uh networking you know um mr Mijino, when he came here in 2014 he, he did a talk and he talked about investing five years in capoeira um, because that'll create your, your foundation. Um, and then, I mean, I mean, I think it goes beyond just your, your training foundation. What are you doing in those five years? Right. So start now. And I, you know, five years conceivably could be, you know, white, yellow, 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 orange, 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 blue. You train hard. It could be, you could 
theoretically in five years be at orange or orange blue. And I, I would say that you'd be ready to teach if you're invested at that point. So what have you done along the way? You know, do you have, and do you have an end game? Like, you know, that it, it, that's a multi-layered question, right? Like, are you for sure? Step, pick, at, pick away at the layers. <laughs> have fun. Are you, you know, have I been in Capoeira for 10 years? Now I'm ready to teach. Okay. Well, there's a, a preparation process for that. Am I just starting to come like I'm in my first year and I know down the line I want to teach, right? There's preparation for that. The earlier you start preparing, you know, the better off you're going to be. So, you know, Messi would harp on us about being able to speak Portuguese. Mm. And I tell my students, you know, as uh, an example, if you get to where you should be, say, six months before or a year before you're supposed to get that green cord, and now you want to crash, uh, have a crash course and speak in Portuguese in six months, it's not going to work, right? So, but if you take the small steps in the 14 or 15 years that it's taking you to get to that that six month countdown, then you all the ducks are going to be in a row. So, if you decide that you want to teach at some point and you spend 10 years, eight years, five, whatever whatever that amount of time it is, but you spend that time putting your ducks in a row, like you know, what are they learning to be good at your music? Learning to be because people are going to visit your space, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody who knows somebody. So there's a guy that I know that does uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Burlington and Judo, and he sends me a message. I'm loosely connected to him through a third party that has nothing to do with Capoeira. It's actually through work, and I get a message saying, there's this guy that I know who, who trains in Jiu-Jitsu and Judo, and he's Brazilian, and he's got a relative coming up from Brazil, you know, to say whatever it was a month, can he do Capoeira with you? Yeah, no problem, you can come do Capoeira with me. So who's going to drop in to see you, Right. All of a sudden, you've got a, a professor or Conta Messi who wants to he wants to know what what Capoeira is like in Burlington or Toronto or Brampton or wherever. So he, he googles you and he you know he comes and visits your academy. You know, I'm I'm the I'm the big cheese in my academy. Like it doesn't it doesn't matter if you walk in the door or not. Like this is my investment. This is my work. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I run an event. I ran an, an annual event which has become international every year since 2007. Since August. <clears throat> Sorry, since August 2007, and I was a blue and orange cord. And I, you know, I, I defaulted to my teacher uh, for guidance, but at some point, that's my event, that's my space, and people need to respect that. So when they walk in, and you need to surround yourself with the right people who are going to walk in the door. Somebody who's got five times the amount of experience you were, and have a messy, who comes up to you and says, "Is it okay if I do this?" and doesn't take the reins. So that's an, an established investment in your time. Is it? You've created an environment that's safe for, for people to come to, and, uh, and and people are respecting that you're the person that's in charge in that environment. Not You're not the highest rank, you're not the best, but it's your work, and people respect that. And it was an uphill battle for me. I would have, um, and again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm, I, I don't want this to sound biased, but it, uh, a lot of, if you, it's a Brazilian art, and when you're dealing with Brazilian teachers, things have gotten way better, but there was a time when, the Brazilians in the room doing their own art automatically got more credibility than than I would get being a North American teacher. So I would have uh, people that I respect come in at, into my event and walk past me to, to shake the hand of, of, you know, the highest rank in the room first and look at me on the way past saying, oh, sorry, the message gets the acknowledgement before you do. Uh, so that was part of my uphill battle about, uh, about you know, uh, uh, about credibility. Again, it goes back to day one to establishing to, to putting your ducks in a row right like establishing that uh and this that was part of the bumps along the way this is my space you know mm. like you don't if you come to my house for a barbecue and, and you acknowledge my father but don't acknowledge me what does that say about the respect that you have for me 
right? That you're just you're you're bypassing me to speak to you know the, the most senior person in the room. Um, so anyways, so go back, 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 back. So you know you find you find it, it, it all. You find your teacher. You find your school. You know you start training regularly. You get good at your music. You get proficient at your at, at your singing. You travel. You make a name for yourself outside of the community. If people don't know who you are and you establish your class and want to have an event, people are not flocking to you. You know, you have to show that you gave to Capoeira before you're you're ready to take from it. Um, like all those things are important, right? Like, so I, I want to uh, like I'm trying to think. So, so Professor Sakech, I, I think I talked to him about this uh, a couple of years ago. That I uh, for me, he did. I can only speak to our our community, right? Our immediate community, like the GTA community. Yeah, for sure. And I've always been a part of it. I've been a part of Capoeira, the Capoeira community in Toronto since day one. So I, I'm the only holdover from the original class of Capoeiristas and from the first Batsado that was held in Toronto. Everybody else has stopped. So I didn't really, the pressure wasn't on me to do that, to be that person where I had to go around and, and make a name for myself in this community because I live here. But when uh, Professor Soketch had been coming and going from Toronto before he immigrated here mm-hmm. from Australia, and he'd visit people when he came and, and, and he'd make his connections. But when he came to establish himself, to live and establish himself full time and to teach as a li- for a living, he made sure that he was at all the academies and, and, and knew everybody uh, before he started saying, hey, you know, uh, can you come and support my work? Um, so it was an easy transition. I, I mean, easy. <laughs> easy is all right. <laughs> it's still, we say it's easy, but there's a ton of work behind the scenes that's got to happen. It was right? a successful transition for him to go from supporting uh, people's academies uh, to having support of his own. Right. Because he was so good at making sure that he networked when he came here. Um, Makaku, uh, he's part of the U.S. Coast Guard, and he trained with us. And he went everywhere. Like, he was, um, you know, if you get to the point where he was going to teach here, I believe he would have been very successful as well because uh, he was a fixture. He was just... Uh, he had no borders. He would go to everybody's um, everybody's neutral ground for him, and, and he was well-received. So <clears throat> that is so important if you want to aim at, at being a teacher at some point. Because uh, otherwise, you, you, you're going to run into a, a roadblock, and, uh, and you're not going to be well-received. And you have a, have a lot of fortitude then to, to break down those walls if you haven't taken those steps leading up to that point. Uh, and a lot of people just don't do it. A lot of people will just stay in their four walls or, or they'll quit. Or, or so, they, they come and they, they try to, you know, they, they plant their banner and I'm here now. And, uh, yeah. And, and they don't understand. It's not, people are like, well, who are you? Right. Well, yeah. And it's, there, there, there's now culturally speaking in Capoeira going back a hundred years. If, um, if you were going to have an event or a lot of, or you wanted somebody to come to your Academy, uh, you would go personally right, and invite them. Uh, you didn't throw up some some blanket invitation mm. because who are you really? Um, you know, hey everybody, I'm having uh, you know I'm having Capoeira in Burlington. Come one, come all. There's a formal part of the process uh, that some teachers still believe um, that you have to go face to face. You know, I, like I'd like to think that we're a little bit more progressive because Messi Bimba and Messi Pasquina uh, didn't have Facebook and didn't have WhatsApp, so you know they didn't have phone. <laughs> So there was a necessity to go face to face. And I appreciate that part of the tradition. But I, I think if you can't do that, you need to make a personal effort for people. Yeah. Uh, at a certain rank and up. I think we can, we can, I mean, my opinion on that is, I mean, we can still today maintain that tradition by taking advantage of technology, 
right? You can actually maintain that tradition probably a lot yeah. easier, right? By reaching out directly to people. And if you don't have someone's contact, um, you know, ask around, right? You know, talk to someone who might know the person you're trying to reach and they may say, oh yeah, here's their number, or, you know, here's their number, right? Uh, or their email address, or, you know, this is how you can find them on Facebook. Drop them a direct message with a personal message and say, hey, you know. Yeah. Um, but there is, there's a number of different ways in 2020 of being personal, mm -hmm. but still being personal, right? I, I've seen people come into the community that are like, that aren't even instructors yet, that are, hey, everybody, here's the date for my event. See you there. Instead of realizing that, you know, I have a successful event and people come to it. Um, the work is there because I learned well from my teacher about how to do things properly and make people feel welcome. But I don't forego the formality. The people that I know will be there every year still get a personal phone call from me and a personal message saying, hey, I hope this year you can make it. And, you know, it would mean a lot to me. And, you know, we'll be the same without you. And it, it's good. But, I, you know, you, you don't want to be at the point where, you know, where ego takes over and people, you know, and, and again, it's all part. It's all, you know, going back to day one. I just set my foot in the academy and, you know, two, two years down the line now, mess, mess. I want to, can I, can I have my own class? Can I host my own holiday? Okay. Right. Let's, let's see how you do. Let's see how you do on a small scale. If you drop the ball, then I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to allow it again, or, or you're going to have a lot of correcting to do. And if it's successful, then we move to the next stage, which may be a little bit bigger, a little bit more responsibility. And that's something I always wanted to be. I mean, beyond being, I, my goal was always the purple cord um, for a number of reasons. Uh, I, I think just aesthetically, I think it's a beautiful color. Like I, I think it's, it's a strong color. Uh, I, almost every group in Capoeira that has a purple cord is a high level. The purple is never a lower belt, right? Right. So conversely, where yellow for us is a third belt, for some groups it's a professor. For us, brown is called a messe. For some groups, it's a th you know second or third belt. Um, depending on the region that you come from in Brazil, mm -hmm. the belt systems reflect differently. Purple is purple. Purple is a high belt no matter where you go. Um, we never, when I joined this group, not Malays, but the predecessor to Malays, mm -hmm. still part of the same group of people, uh, we didn't have a purple belt at that point. I never saw one until I'd been in Capoeira for 12 years. So it was a bit of an elusive belt that, that I had actually never seen in person. Um, so I always, uh, you know, beyond that, if I stuck around with Capoeira long enough, you know, I'm sure that the, the, the progression would happen just because of investment and time. But the purple belt was my goal. Um, and I wanted to facilitate. I wanted to... You know, if my calculator wasn't going to be great or if I was going to be a work in progress and, you know, working towards my goals physically of being where I want to be, then I could work to bring people together. I could host others and events. I could go places and, and make sure that people knew that I was there to support them and then do my part to bring people together. Um, that's what I wanted to do. That was that was a goal I had from very early on. And again, I had to set my docs in a row mm -hmm. from day one to get to that point where my teacher would, A, trust me uh, to, to, to do it, and then to do it successfully. Cool, cool. Let's, um, why don't you tell us, I know you've probably got many, many great memories uh, and possibly proud moments, and this might be a, a tough question for someone who's been uh, training and teaching for so long. But tell us about one of your most memorable or, or proudest moments at, uh, at your academy. Um, 
at my academy. When the event, uh, well, having the first event was, um, it was a small, it was really a hard and a one-day workshop. Uh, it was in August of 2007 to kind of, I wanted to do a, a formal opening. So we started the classes in March. The grand opening, for lack of a better term, was in April. That's, we, we were kind of public. And then by the summer, I wanted to do, uh, you know, bring a couple of people to teach and have a hard <laughs> So... That was important to me. Um, the first year that we had an international event, which was 2016, was a big event. Um, you know, making the transition from, uh, you know, the locals uh, just operating within, the, again, the comfort zone with very, very talented companies, don't get me wrong, but kind of taking a leap of faith at that point to go, okay, let's go big. Let's, uh, let's go outside of North America and start bringing some talent in. Uh, to Europe and to, to South America. Um, I, I don't know. Like having, um, when I get to the point, which is going to come within the next couple of years, of having a student that started with me for, and only me, getting their instructor cord uh, will be something. Um, I have students that are high belts, but they also have influence from, from different teachers, which is fine. But it's something else when, when you know that the, the person has done their first jingle with you, their first stretch, their first class with you, and they've stuck with you long enough to get to get a green cord um, is a big deal. Um, <clears throat> um, you know, moments that, uh, you know, it, it happens, not at every event, but we've had a number, We no, at every event, sorry, I shouldn't say that. At every event, there's a moment where, like, have you ever had, here, let me ask you this question, and then I can reflect this back right. for me. Have you ever had, and this is kind of existential and a little bit science fiction, but have you ever experienced a perfect moment in time? A perfect moment in time? Um, you know, that's a very good question. That's a tough one. So, right. Not the first time I went to Brazil, the first time I went to Brazil, I stayed there for three months and I was sitting on the roof of a house that I was staying at and it was in the evening and I was by myself. And it wasn't cold, it wasn't hot, there wasn't a breeze, and the sky was clear. And for me, that moment was a perfect moment in time. It was, it's hard to explain. So, having said that, like everything was there in balance, been, everything was in check. Everything, everything was perfect. Yeah. I was out of my element, I was, I was thousands of miles away from where I belong, but that moment was perfect. So, uh, in Capoeira, there's been perfect moments for me. Like in, normally when it comes to music, and not me, not, not my music, but bringing the energy together, like being, again, being the facilitator, hopefully having an understanding of the balance that you need to bring a successful event together, making right. sure that, that there's no there's no animosity between two people that you didn't anticipate, right? You don't want to bring two, two bad energies together. Um, you know, just knowing who's going to play off of each other well. And, uh, and you know, um, I, I, I hate to get off track, but I guess my thought processes are... Uh, no, All go right. ahead. No, this is this is an opportunity for you to to tell yourself like the you know of ultimately in the end you know when when we when I get this all published you know the it's an opportunity for uh, potentially new capoeiristas to kind of see you know across the country you know um, I'm going to take this off to the side as well because like we we talk about this at least I. Um, you know, in, in my belief is, you know, if you're looking to study a martial art, don't just, you know, say 
whatever is capoeira i want to learn capoeira well and you were talking about this before right like you know uh when we're talking about the people who live in urban versus suburban um don't pick the first thing that's just close to you if uh, i mean go and check it out but if it's if you don't feel comfortable or if you don't feel like there's a, a mesh there then keep looking right so anyways um like go ahead keep talking <laughs> oh for sure um uh, and uh, you know I, I te- even touching on that is i would rather somebody not do couple with me if they can learn couple it better from somebody else because because the connection is better than go because you're going to give more to couple it that way mm-hmm. than by we've seen this over the years and by closing your doors and telling people they're not permitted to go anywhere else that's fear that's that's fear and ego um anyways um I think emotion is a huge part of capoeira, and, I, and I've said this for years. Not right away, but it, at some point, you need to have an emotional connection to capoeira. Um, and I find more often than not, that comes out through music. Um, I would I'd say that by the time you probably get to be yellow, you know, give yourself two, three years, you have to have a moment. You have to be at a hada where you get goosebumps or, you know, where you well up because the, the energy is, is immense. Um, so those, those are perfect moments for me. There was one, it, there was two actually that were at the same event. It was, it wasn't at my academy, but it was an extension of the event that I was doing because when I started teaching, I was very, um, uh, I was very stubborn about my event has to happen in Burlington. It's Burlington Capoeira. It's my work. I'm not advertising for anybody else. If we're going to do anything, if we're going to do an aside at the event, a Hada or whatever outside of the academy, it has to be in Burlington. And I've changed my mind since then because that's I understood I understand my own intentions was because I was trying to develop the work. But again, also I'm limiting involvement in Capoeira because there's people that might not be able to get to Burlington. Why shouldn't they be able to partake in that energy hmm. in part or in whole? So we, we had an agreement, you know, with this and again, if I've got ten students and there's a hundred people uh, participating in my event, I, I only represent ten percent of that event. So can I expect the other 90% to accommodate to me. No, I can lift up my 10% on one night or two nights of that event and go downtown and bring it to the urban environment where people want it at their fingertips because maybe I might encourage somebody to do more with it. So, right, Thursday and Friday were so good in Toronto, I have to go to Burlington on Saturday to see what it's all about. I, I have to have part of that energy. Right, right. Um, so the, this one event um, in 2016 where we had, uh, where we brought Messi LeBon here, and Messi um, Lobau uh, and Messi Marcelo uh, were on the Birabao, and Conte Messi Falcon was a very talented musician. I mean, you know that, but mm. you know, let me let me speak to the people that are going to see this at some point or hear. For sure, for sure. He, he he's for me, he's the voice of our generation of Capoeira. Um, he, he's he's a beautiful singer, and, and he's he's very very skilled. Anyways, so he's playing. Somebody 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 asks to take the Birabao from him. Uh, and he, you know, like there's no reason to other than, hey, you know, I'm, maybe maybe I feel like playing Capoeira or maybe I need to be in a picture beside Messi Lobau. I, I don't know what that this person's motive was, but <laughs> but who, who I, you know, I think I can comfortably speak about it. He's, I've trained with him for almost a quarter of a century. He just looks at him and smiles and shakes his head and, and shakes his head and says, are you kidding? Like, I'm not giving up this moment <laughs> with these. Uh, and uh, at the same event, at the end of the Hoda, there was no singing. There was only there was Atabaki and Paderu and Birambao, and people were just Messi Lua, Messi Lobão. Two of the Birambaos. It might have been Messi Marcelo was the third. I don't remember that much, 
But I just remember being in awe of the music. It was just music. There was no singing. But just seeing what they were doing with the bit and bow was, and I, I, I think Messi was inspired to that level, being beside Messi Lobau, who, again, I would argue is, is you know, at the top of the food chain as far as, well, I mean, Cupweight overall, but the music is, uh, I, I can't think of a greater reference in Cupweight of music, for me personally, than Messi Lobau. So to, to, be, to be pushed to that, it, just, I, it was just phenomenal to, to watch. You just, you couldn't take away from it. Like, it wasn't, uh, you know, they were, it was their moment. It was their perfect moment in time to own. And maybe they don't recognize that. But through them, that was one of those moments for me. I think more than more than proud moments, I've had more enlightening moments, you know, um, and more more of them have happened outside of, of where I teach than inside. But just like a comment that's been made, or just a moment in time that yeah. that kind of kind of affirms that you know, yeah, okay, my path is straight. So maybe you know, so maybe I'm, it's a better question for me to ask is like, what moments have been more impactful? on you um, versus right which which is basically what you're, basically what you're alluding to um and or what you're talking about are moments that have been impactful and and uh and like you said enlightening i think i think the problem with me trying to find those impactful moments at my own events is i don't really participate in my own events I, i'm running around trying to organize it and and you know make sure that everything is running <laughs> maybe other people have those moments yeah uh, at, at events but but I, I'm usually behind the scenes. Yeah, too yeah. Much. yeah, no, it reminds me uh, of, it reminds me of, uh, Messi Lewis said this to me once. He goes, sometimes the best event is somebody else's event. Because you're not running around, right? <laughs> yeah. You don't, like, I, I very rarely get a game in at my own events, you know, maybe five for the whole weekend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then as the days go on, it just becomes more hectic. I mean, you know, the Thursday night is, you know, downtown, but it's only a hard yeah, I just have to really show up on time because Messi's fanatical about his instruments being played, so I usually don't even have to bring mine. Mm. Friday night is a shorter night, and it's a smaller dinner. And then Saturday's the big production where, you know, that we're kind of busting at the seams, and, uh, yeah. you know, that there's a dip for 100, 120 people that has to be coordinated, and plus, you know, replacing the instruments and blah, 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 everything that goes into doing it. For sure. So, but other events, I mean, uh, we went to an event myself. There was probably 15 or 20 of us that went to Detroit to an event in 2004 and Contra Messi Falcon and I went as, as te we weren't teachers yet, but we were welcomed as teachers because we were running our own classes in Toronto <clears throat> and the teacher that was running the event there, the Messi pulled us to one side after realizing that we're, we're training. I mean, we're represented by very strongly by Messi Lua, but we're essentially we're training and learning by ourselves and uh, him saying that uh, just, you guys are playing cup later. And, and it was very subtle, and it wasn't. Nobody needed to have the back. It wasn't. You guys, amazing. It wasn't. You know, much. But you, you, you're on the right path. You were doing the right things. Nice. And you're playing the game. Nice. And that, that to me was was huge. Um, in 2010, when I was in Brazil, <clears throat> at a Batsado, getting my green cord. Once everything was done and the hard was happening, and it was more relaxed. Everything had passed, and all the belts had been given out. And I had the microphone, and I was singing. Um, and Messi Museo was at at that event as a guest and I was singing um Sin Capoeira Na Posso Vive which is a song by Messi Charmi mm. and when I looked over my shoulder Messi Museo was singing the chorus of the song that I was leading M maybe for a lot of people that really wouldn't mean anything but to me it was huge like here's this Messi that's contributing to the chorus of the song that I'm leading it wasn't 
I don't kind know. Of, I, kind I, of giving you that that support role versus, yeah, you know, was, in a sense, right? Yeah. As a and it wasn't just, for anybody else, and nobody needs to understand it. It was just, that's again, your, that's your moment. Right, the past. I'm going the right direction. So, it's been little moments like that, really, that have just, you know, they happen every once in a while. I grew up, I grew up being taught in a way that. Uh, if you're not corrected, just assume that you're doing it right, mm-hmm. or you have the right idea. Anyways, you're going the right direction. Um, so we didn't get a lot of pat on the backs, which is fine. Yep. Um, so that I know when they come, that that they're deserved. You know, when that when that moment comes, that you know, the congratulations come, that it's that it's well earned. Yeah, there's more weight behind that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Now listen, I want to thank you for your time. It's very much appreciated. I Thank know you. we had a little struggles in the beginning <laughs> with the technology stuff, but you know we've we've ironed it out and we were able to have this uh, this awesome conversation. And not only thank you for your time now, but I I owe you a thank you um, since two thousand three, right? Because if it wasn't for if it wasn't for um, that night that I came across Ingosado having a holiday here in Brampton, I would not have made the connection to you. And and to our family here, uh, I can't put a family here in Toronto or in the GTA, right? Uh, and uh, quite honestly, I feel enriched. Your efforts, your work kept all of us together for sure. There's, there's no doubt about it. And I would, I would gladly stand in front of anybody who would say otherwise. Thank you very much. So thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. I know it's kind of sunny out, and uh, <laughs> good luck with the uh, the new family member as well. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Ciao, ciao. Bye. 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 Bye.